0: Uh, Let's hear God's infallible word, if you'd read with me from Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come to offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and you be thrown into prison and you uh, deliver you to the judge, the judge hands you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Father in heaven, I do thank you for the opportunity to look deeper into your scriptures and ask that you would have these truths to go deeper into our hearts. May your word shine light into our lives to drive out the darkness and to ever more fully conform us to the likeness of your Son. Please guide me in this truth that I would accurately convey your message to your people, and this I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Well, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, this Sermon of the Mount covers three full chapters. So it's uh, devoted a lot of space, a little bit less so in the other gospels, but Matthew chose for whatever divine reason, we don't exactly know, but to give us more uh, detail here. And over and over again, Jesus makes the point that the issues of sin and righteousness have everything to do with the heart and uh, also with the outward action, but the heart level is where it all begins. Uh, So too in this issue with anger, but also when he speaks elsewhere of the other topics, be it lust or prayer, they all come from the heart. Uh, Prior to this specific Uh, section of his sermon. He's already affirmed the continuing validity of the Old Testament law in verses 17 and 20. And he then piercingly reminds his audience that those commandments are not only still in effect, but they have huge deep implications. Things that they had been perhaps conveniently overlooking, realizing, hey, I haven't done that big thing, but uh, not realizing that they may have done the underlying sins, uh, whether it be anger or adultery Or hypocrisy or pride of trying to get people's attention through their long winded and holy sounding prayers, whatever the case may be, that they were trying to avoid the outward sins but avoiding that um, inward issue of the heart. So we must always keep before our eyes that uh, God sees the heart, He knows those inner issues, and He cannot be fooled. Well, uh, in terms of the relevance of this Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus calls the audience and us as well to a different kind of living many people wonder well who is you know what's jesus point in this sermon who is he speaking to was he really expecting the people of his day to try and meet this high standard and was he expecting us in a future day to try and meet this high standard Um, And the answer to that question is that these are kingdom standards and we're living in the kingdom age. So we can't say it's for a future time, maybe someday uh, with an extra measure of grace, as some charismatics would say, we'll be able to do it. Or in another dispensation, as the dispensationalists would say, then we'll be able to do it. Or once we get to heaven, we'll be able to do it. These are kingdom principles for kingdom living. and We're living in that age and we have the king currently reigning. Hence, these are expectations for us today. Uh, We need to learn them well and to learn how to do them. Um, So indeed, and it's perfectly justified to accept the fact and be honest with ourselves and realize that these are radical principles. And that's kind of the point. Uh, If he wanted to go easy on us, he could just let us go our way, wandering off the cliff into destruction, couldn't we? But would we really want that? No, it's good to have a high standard, and it's good to set that bar high, and then to not shirk from it. Uh, He desires so much from us. Knowing that we can't accomplish it, he doesn't just say, well, fine just go ahead, that's all right, I know you can't do it. No, he came uh, sending his son uh, to pay the price to accomplish for us what we couldn't do by ourselves. So when you say, God, I can't do it, it's just too difficult... You are halfway correct, you're right. It is difficult, it's impossible for you to do as a sinner. But it's far from possible, it's required, and certainly uh, able to do it when we have God's Spirit within us. And that's, that's the good news of the Gospel, isn't it? The good news is that recognizing where we were, lost in our sin, unable to do it ourselves, the good news is that now we're able to do it. The good news isn't that he changed his standard, tossed out his law. That wouldn't be good news. That would be denying Scripture, the fact that God is true, and can't change his mind. The good news is... The law is still in effect and uh, for those continuing moral principles, and we're enabled to do what people previously were not able to do. And that is, indeed, good news. Amen? Amen. 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 So let's embrace this good news. Well, in this sermon, uh, covering these chapters, uh, Jesus speaks to novices, people being initiated into this kingdom living, uh, much like some of us, no doubt. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, whether we've been Christians for a year or 10 years or 20, we're novices in some areas still. We're not done with that sanctifying work. So kids don't need to feel bad that you're uh, behind the loop here. I remember when I first got saved, which was when I was uh, 26, I remember thinking, oh, all those wasted years. If only I'd gotten saved when I was 18, then I would have had you know, eight more years to catch up with all those other people. I wish I'd grown up in a good Sunday school and started earlier and uh, had those years under my belt. So the kids don't... Excuse this and wait till you're uh, older to try and catch up. Now is the time to invest in fruit for the future. But for us who did start late, uh, it's never too late. And uh, the Holy Spirit is in the business of having people catch up quickly. So um, as I mentioned, there's a whole host of challenges laid out, not only in this chapter, but in the chapters that follow. And we're just going to deal with one of those. Uh, The issue of anger is what I want to look at. And uh, I ask you, honestly, to take a look at yourself. Hold up that mirror and ask are you ever angry? Uh, Perhaps you use a different terminology for it, an unbiblical terminology I would suggest. Uh, I was just upset. I get upset sometimes or I lost my cool sometimes. But uh, the Bible is unflinching when it condemns these things as anger. So simply by saying, oh, I got frustrated with my wife last week. Yeah, you're right. Or, Oh, I was a little you know, disappointed in uh, my brother when he stole my toy. Now, let's be honest. Uh, let's call a spade a spade and say, yes, I was angry. And God is not pleased with that. Uh, we may call it other names to make it more acceptable. I know some of you have been reading that book um, acceptable sins by, is it Trip? I'm not sure the offer, or Bridges, I'm sorry. And uh, he makes a valid point that we try to uh, lay a carpet over some of these things that aren't quite screaming for attention, but uh, that's an ungodly practice, so we need to pay attention to this as God does, as we'll see. Uh, So looking at verse 22, uh, he says that unrighteous anger is sin. And uh, the fact that we need to add a qualifier to what type of anger is indicated by verse 22, whoever is angry with his brother without cause. Uh, If we neglect the word without cause, we're left wondering, well, what about the times, say, in the Old Testament where God is angry with uh, the people? And we'll list some examples of that later. And what about New Testament examples where Jesus is angry? Uh, Notice that if we make a blanket statement that all anger is sinful, we're left Calling, accusing Jesus of sin, uh, which is of course uh, not possible. He was without sin. So we must realize and acknowledge that there is some anger that's unrighteous, hence sinful, and some anger that is, um, I'm sorry, unrighteous and is sinful, and anger that is righteous, uh, following the pattern of God and is therefore justified. It's for us to distinguish between those two and make sure that we get it right. So, first, let's take a look at some of these righteous causes, uh, things that lead God Himself and Jesus and uh, some people to be angry, and justifiably so. Uh, so, by way of example, as I alluded to, uh, God had righteous anger, for example, at Moses' unbelief uh, in uh, Exodus 4. Also, He's angry at the mistreatment of widows and orphans and strangers. Uh, repeatedly, that's the case. He says, I am angry. Uh, He's also justifiably angry at the worship of idols, things that offend his holiness and the pure holy worship that he expects from his people. So those are all examples where God is angry, he has a good reason to do so, and uh, we're not to accuse God of sin for being angry. And of course Jesus, he was angry when he stormed into the temple, threw over the tables of the money changers, and that was a justifiable action, trying to purify the worship in the time there of his day. Uh, and it's not just God who is angry, righteously so at times, but we see examples of Paul. Uh, all throughout the letter of Galatians, you can read that as like an angry letter, he's angry about the ways that people are perverting the gospel. So that's uh, a justifiable reason to be angry. In um, Old Testament examples, Moses is uh, said to be righteously angry when he was uh, angry at Pharaoh for not letting his people go. But of course, Moses is an example of uh, also unrighteous anger when he struck the rock when not commanded to do so. So Moses provides uh, both ways. He's a good example in that case. Well, so clearly, I think this brief summary, and I didn't put the scriptures in your outline, I think these are cases that are very familiar to you. But at a basic level, we see that there are situations where anger is justified, and there are situations where it is not justified, where it becomes sinful. And that's a situation here where um, Jesus goes into further. So let's look at the flip side of the causes where um, the the, uh, anger is unrighteous. Uh, It may be caused by bitterness. Uh, Hebrews speaks of this root of bitterness taking hold. And when you don't get it out of your life, it bears fruit in these uh, destructive ways. Uh, So bitterness causing anger. Also, uh, the sins of pride and jealousy. Uh, can lead to anger. If we don't take care of those underlying sins, anger comes out in all these different ways. I was reading an article uh, about counseling, and they say that 90% of counseling cases, when people come either to clinics or to pastors for counseling, it's actually anger that's the problem. Uh, it may, on the surface, look like it's a whole host of other things, because people don't realize, oh, it's the anger that's causing that. And so here we're seeing, it, you know, people may say, oh, I'm just having trouble with bitterness. And you say, well, why are you bitter? Well, because People are getting angry with me all the time. So anger just pervades so many problems we see uh, within families, between siblings, uh, between spouses, in the workplace, within the church. Uh, So anger is something that needs to be dealt with because these unrighteous causes are springing up all the time. Um, And it is manifested, it springs up in a variety of ways. As I've put there, uh, it comes up in angry emotions, uh, which are often seen, be it facial expressions, even though we may think we're hiding them. Uh, They come up in words, which are so often uh, indelibly heard by people, and they are seen and felt in actions. So let's take a look at these three things. Uh, The first part of verse 22 I see speaks of those emotions, where it says, "...whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment." So simply by having angry emotions, it doesn't even have to get to the step of saying anything or of doing anything, Oh, we're in danger of that judgment. Uh, The same is the case for other sins, as uh, Jesus lays out in the Beatitudes uh, and in the Sermon on the Mount, be it uh, lust or hypocrisy in prayer. Uh, Just by uh, thinking these emotions are sinful. You don't have to commit adultery or fornication to be guilty of adultery. Uh, You don't have to uh, do the action that the world says, oh, that's horrible, you know. The world's up in arms about the governor of uh, South Carolina because he was a fool and uh, did this marital affair. Well, how long was he lusting after women uh, that people just don't, didn't know, so they don't pay so much attention to it? But it's the emotions uh, behind it leading to those action and word <coughs> sins that God certainly does care deeply about. But I should comment that it's emotions in and of themselves are not bad. God gave us emotions for a purpose. Uh, and used for that purpose properly, uh, they are a very good thing. Uh, the purpose of anger, I would uh, submit to you, is to motivate. Uh, you're angry at something the way you should be, as we'll discuss in a moment. and You're motivated to action, a godly, God-honoring action. Uh, just like um, the emotion of fear is a, a good thing. You know, God gave you fear so that when you're standing on the train tracks and you see the train coming, you're motivated to move, right? A fool, uh, without fear, Uh, would stand there and just take it, right? So emotions in and of themselves and when used properly for godly purpose are a very good thing. I'm not here to tell you you need to be emotionless and just take it. Uh, You should be, as we'll discuss, uh, angry at the right things, fearful at the right things too, uh, angry at the right things and in the right way. So emotions are very important. Uh, God has given us emotions for a purpose uh, to glorify him simply, of course, as with all things. Well, with that, let's move on then to angry words, because angry emotions are often manifested in words, as uh, we no doubt have experienced. Uh, just as the emotion of fear might be manifested in words, for example, you know, help, or yikes, uh, the anger emotion is also manifested in words. The remainder there are verse 22 saying, and whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, and whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Uh, Looking at the definition, raka is an Aramaic word uh, that means something along the lines of our modern, um, you moron, so insulting somebody's intelligence, whereas you fool is slightly different. They really are quite close, uh, but it's it's an epithet um, insulting uh, somebody's lack of wisdom, and certainly intelligence is connected to wisdom. There's an overlap there, but at least there's enough of a difference for Jesus to distinguish Between the two, but these are examples of angrily lashing out at somebody with our words, trying to attack them with those angry words. Um, But just as before, I gave you examples of righteous anger here. Very specific uh, in Galatians 3 and Luke 11:40, we see times where Paul and where Christ called people fools. So simply calling a person fool is not the sin. Uh, It's why and how and for what reason and with what goal you use those angry words, those angry insults, that makes it a sin, and that's what we'll get to in a, motion, in a moment. But Before we get there, looking then at this third step, if the first step is having angry emotions, which often lead to angry words, the third step is angry actions, um, and uh, unfortunately for us, or maybe for the better, because people all too often see these, you know, we often think, oh, it's a bad thing if people see things and I get caught, but I think if we have God's perspective, it's a good thing to get caught, so you can correct it. But at any rate, to say that these angry actions are very visible, and I remember a time um, I had a temper when I was a kid. I probably do more now than I should do as well. But when I was a kid, I got mad at something. I can't remember. I was 10 or 11 years old. I ran upstairs, closed the door to the bedroom, and slammed my heel into the wall. And then I noticed I put a hole in the drywall. And that's hard to cover up. You can try to cover up the facial expressions you think nobody's seeing when you've got those angry thoughts. You can think, oh, maybe nobody heard those words I said, but it's a little harder to cover up the angry actions. And I was also a really good liar when I was a kid, so I'm sure I came up with some excuse to explain the hole in the drywall. Uh, but uh, two wrongs didn't make a right, and I probably got in trouble for both. So God's justice be done, I hope. It took a while to learn a lesson. But, um, so all that to say that uh, we can't cover up uh, all of these steps, sooner or later, we're going to get caught. Uh, these actions are very tangible. They can be documented. Uh, people can see, you know, a passport checks when the governor of South Carolina is heading to and from a- Argentina. You can't hide things forever. Uh, but uh, heaven forbid that these actions go to that next level that we actually engage in murder and that's what uh, Jesus is connecting back to in the latter verses here where he says to you know go try and be reconciled you'll know, find the offended party in case you, know, you don't want it to go so far it's a point where you're uh, given over to the judge and you're put in prison and you're found guilty and you're Stay in there paying the penalty until uh, the justice is satisfied. So long before it gets that far down the road, it needs to be uh, reconciled. um, Because once it's gone that sour, uh, it's difficult to take back. uh, Because it's too late. Uh, And it's too late for a lot of people. Uh, Not too late for God's grace and forgiveness, but certainly at a point, it's too late to not uh, hurt other people. That can't be undone. Uh, Before I go on then to these solutions I want to suggest for you and really emphasize, I want to bring up two points. First, uh, just because um, you don't get caught doesn't mean you aren't guilty. I probably came up with a good enough excuse to say, oh, you know, when we were moving furniture, that's how we got the hole in the wall, and I might have gotten away with it. Just because I got away with it in my parents' eyes doesn't mean that I got away with it in God's eyes. So just because your boss doesn't see you when you're talking trash about your coworker uh, to another coworker, worker uh, just because it doesn't get back to him before the next promotion doesn't mean that someday it's not going to. It doesn't mean that God doesn't know your heart and know the problem. So we need to not think, "Ooh, got away with that one. I'm okay. No need to try and correct this bad habit. But we need to be honest with ourselves and realize that God sees. Second, to notice the escalation of the situation. Um, some uh, people who take a look at this passage actually see three different situations and three different penalties. Uh, the first situation being the thoughts, the second saying raka, the third being you fool, and then you know, one is judgment, one is the counsel, one is the hellfire as the punishments. Um, I agree more with the position that they're seeing different angles of the same thing, that they're really wrapped together. But at any rate, we definitely can see an escalation. I think mean, they all have the same penalty hellfire, judgment. Uh, con- condemnation by the council, but uh, they're little different angles, and they tend to escalate. We start with small sins, and then we, with better practice, move on to the bigger ones, right? Uh, so it's really important to intercept these at those earlier levels before they get worse and worse. And we may think, oh, I've, I've stopped at step one. I've, I've never done anything worse than the angry thoughts. You know, sure, yeah, I've you know, cursed at my wife in my head, but I have never said anything mean to her out of my mouth. And I would submit to you that pretty soon you probably are, because the more you practice that in your head, the more it's going to have likelihood to come out of your mouth. Uh, You may say, though, also, oh, I've stopped at step two. Yeah, you're right. I've said some angry things out of my mouth, but I would never hit somebody. Well, I would submit to you also that those verbal volleys coming out of your mouth are someday going to lead to uh, volleys of a fist or something flying across the room at something or somebody. So we need to take seriously uh, the risk for escalation and not be so prideful or calloused or uh, hypocritical to think, oh, it's just the other guy, the other fool, uh, that um, uh, he's the one that falls off the edge like that and you know, gets taken to jail for uh, whatever type of abuse. So we need to be honest and not use psychological language, say, oh, venting, that's a good way to deal with your anger. All venting is is giving license for using angry words. God condemns that as a sin. That is not a good way to handle anger. Uh, being angry is not a good, uh, continuing in unrighteous anger is not a good way to deal with sin. We need to resolve it so it doesn't progressively get worse. So just to keep in mind those two things. God sees even if we think we're uh, hiding it and that uh, there's an escalation here that we need to be honest with ourselves about and not trick ourselves into uh, just letting it uh, fester longer and longer. Let's then get into the solution, that's the fun part, because God, uh, as is true with all aspects of the gospel, does not leave us to be hopeless and wish we could do better and fail again next time. He gives us solutions, and I think the two main ways that he presents us with a solution are to transform it and to resolve it. So let's look first then at transforming this anger. Uh, So again, having acknowledged that we're fallen people and we live in a fallen world, things are gonna come up that make us angry, and rightfully so. Uh, If we're never angry at anything, uh, I think there's a problem. Uh, We're not to just shut off the emotion and live in some blind, unaffected bubble. That's not what God calls us to do. Um, Salt is not being salty when it's sitting in the shaker. It needs to be out there interacting with things. And salt put in a food interacts with an acid, and it has to do battle. So when we're out in the world, uh, we are uh, having things coming at us. That's just the way life is. Uh, If we think that we can solve our sin of, um, you know, fornication by never uh, using a computer uh, and never having internet access, therefore we'll never get to pornography, we're fooling ourselves into thinking it's that thing that is causing us to sin. Similarly with anger, you say, I'm just going to stay away from all these people that annoy me, (laughs) then I'll never be angry. Well, somebody else is going to come along. Uh, And if it's your spouse, you can't get away from them, so it needs to be dealt with. You can't say, it's that other person, it's that other situation, if only I got a different job, then I wouldn't get angry. Uh, The sin is in us, it's not outside, um, as so many um, recluses and uh, monks have found out. They can't run away from it. Uh, So let's look then at how we uh, gradually have this anger. Uh, transform it into something that's righteous and first to say that godly anger is godlike so we must be angry at the things that god is angry at Um, so uh, proverb 1911 reads the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression so there are some transgressions some offenses against us that are worth overlooking Uh, just let them go um, that we don't need to dwell on them Um, and there are things that God is angry at, that we should be angry at. We should be angry at the murder of abortion. That's not a right thing. We need to be angry at it, and for the right reasons. Uh, But maybe a more personal example, take the example of a child. Uh, You've told them 10 million times to not climb on the couch and and play with a stack of books on your end table. Lo and behold, they do it. Well, I ask you, why are you angry at that? Are you angry because they knocked over the book and uh, bent the the corner of it, you know, it's a collector's edition or something, and your pen was standing on top of it, and it's dashed under the couch, and for the 10,000th time, you got to hunt down a pen next time you want to write a note. So what are you angry about? Are you angry about the inconvenience, or are you angry about the rebellion? Because, maybe 50, 100 times, you've told them, don't do that. Um, So God is angry at rebellion, and so should we. So if you take a moment and ask yourself, why am I angry at this? Am I angry for the right reasons or the wrong reasons? If it's the right reason, you're headed on the good path. Uh, God is angry when people don't meet his holy standard, and uh, it's okay for us to be angry when people don't meet a righteous standard as well. And with that, of course, comes a caution. We need to be careful that we're laying down an appropriate standard. Uh, You won't find in Scripture that, uh, you know, thou shalt not uh, toss over a stack of books. Uh, But yet, uh, there are reasons for safety or for respect for personal property where it's okay or a parent uh, to make that rule. We don't have to look for it exactly written there in Scripture. Uh, but we do need to be cautious. Some families make so many rules uh, that the kids are lef- left with nowhere to turn. We need to understand you know, people have energy and it needs to express somehow. Um, and uh, let's make a way that that can happen. Uh, so, all that to say, there's a holy standard that can be offended. When it is offended, it's sin. But we need to be careful what sin or what standard we're implementing, which actually I'm sort of getting ahead of myself here. But, um, and also for that to say that, that God's angry at the problem. Uh, yes, he's angry at the sinner, he's angry at the sin that the people do, so we too need to be angry at that problem. And when we're angry at the right problems, then we have the potential for being angry in the right way. We're well, moving on to the next sort of qualification for righteous anger to transform what's bad into what's good. Uh, God's anger is legal. Um, uh, it must be accordance, in accordance with God's law. Um, as I said, uh, it doesn't, we're not going to look and see a commandment, you know, thou shalt uh, respect a stack of books. But yet there are parameters that God gives us within family government for uh, implementing that. And also take that to the next step of a- implementing a punishment. The punishment must be in accordance with God's law. Uh, we all know about spheres of government. Uh, the sword is reserved for a civil and the rod for family. Uh, the family is not a place for vigilante justice. Uh, we should have uh, siblings uh, you know, after trying to resolve them themselves but turning to the parents for justice. We should have church members turning to the church elders for justice. We should have people within civil society turning to the elected leaders for civil justice. So when things need to be ha- handled in terms of punishment again according to God's law. So it must be legal. So once we've passed this first test of having uh, anger at the right things and then the second test of Uh, um, uh, processing or uh, bringing out our anger uh, in a right way in terms of punishment, Uh, we also need to say, how are we expressing this anger? And as I say in point three, it is not explosive or easily provoked. Uh, Proverbs 29.11 says, a fool vents his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Again, there's times where it's appropriate to not even be angry at all. It's times to be angry, but to do it appropriately, to not just unload those verbal tirades that I mentioned that the psychologists will say, oh, that's good and healthy, you're unburdening your heart, you're being honest with people. No, a fool vents his feelings. A wise man restrains them. Uh, how many times did God uh, restrain his wrath against the people of Israel? And sometimes reading through those historical books, you're like, come on, God, get on with it. These people are ready for some judgment. Uh, But no, he is patient, um, far more so than we are. Of course, ultimately, their destruction did come, as well as their uh, restoration. But we are to not be explosive. We're to be slow to be angry, slow to be provoked. Um, So if you see yourself running over to that kid who's um, standing on the couch, knocked over the stack of books, and uh, you grab them so hard they almost break their arm to throw them over the knee, or you've got, you know, white knuckles showing as you're grabbing that spanking paddle, there might be some evidence that you are n- uh, being provoked rather quickly and that uh, your anger is exploding. Um, and uh, then you've got to deal with, the, you know, why were you simmering? Why were there burning embers that once they hit flammable gasses just erupted? Um, but look at, for the evidence of explosiveness we'll show you that things are not being handled properly. But when they are handling, being handled properly, when you can take a moment, and here's in terms of some real tools uh, to try and process this anger uh, properly, is to you know, go get the kid and walk them maybe to a specific room, and you only ever spank them in the bathroom because there's 50 feet between that living room and the bathroom, and it gives you time to calm down. Or in a conflict with your spouse, Jay Adams is a big advocate of what he calls the conference table. It may be a little desk or... Yeah, the end of your dining room table where whenever there's an issue, you all know to go to the conference table. Because once you get to the conference table, that's the space in which you all sit down and discuss things frankly. So the time it takes to say, you know, honey, there's something that's bothering me. Let's go to the conference table. The time it takes to say that, to walk to the conference table. The time it takes to formulate a godly prayer for God's grace and mercy in your marriage. That's another moment to uh, have things settle down and to have godly anger. And then the time it takes to discuss things. It's time for it to be processed in a non-explosive, in a uh, slowly provoked type of manner. So let's try and practice those. Uh, Well, Moving on to the fourth thing then, that God's anger does not take pleasure in wrath. God is not delighted in the death of the wicked, as we read in our reading of Confession. Critical to remember. Uh, If you see yourself... You know, maybe a situation at the office where, um, you know, the guy, your coworker has been cheating, basically stealing from the company by, uh, you know, checking personal emails continuously on company time. And so this is a a correct reason to be angry. He's stealing. Uh, You may be totally justified in going to your boss because you perhaps, you know, confronted him directly before, nice gently, but he didn't do anything. Now he's continuing to do it. Your boss is the one who's got the authority to correct it, so you're justified in going to the legal authority, the boss. But ask yourself, uh, are you secretly being like, sweet, now's a time when I can get rid of this guy, because he really annoys me for some other reason. So just like God, though he has perfect wrath and perfect justice that's being offended by these people, um, he doesn't have delight and joy in this, nor should we have a secret... Pleasure in seeing somebody else's downfall. Uh, that's not a godly way to manifest our anger. Uh, it's also in Ezekiel where the nations around uh, Israel uh, who God used to judge Israel are then punished themselves for gloating. They say, aha, aha, you know, God wasn't able to save them. And, and Yahweh is like, you guys gloated, just wait until you get it. And they're judged but never restored uh, until the time of the Gentiles for us. But uh, so we need to not gloat in somebody else's downfall, to always be remembering, but for the grace of God go we. If we think we're better than somebody else, that's when you're a hair's breadth away from going exactly where they are. So with all this, I say to be uh, motivated by somebody's uh, need for restoration and reconciliation, whether it be with you or with God, uh, to be motivated for the right reasons, addressing the right problem, and uh, to be handling it in all these ways that I've said properly, to not be explosive, to be slowly provoked, uh, to be legal in both uh, assessment of who's responsible for it and for how to punish it. All these things come together to make your reaction uh, godly and hence to get to a solution, Uh, which brings us to this resolving the problem Uh, because if we keep these points in mind, we see that godly anger has a purpose, a very noble purpose. To solve a problem. Uh, If none of us ever cared about anything, the problems would continue. So when we have godly anger, we can address these problems and seek a godly solution. So rather than stewing on something or ignoring it, uh, stewing on it and uh, erupting, we need to address the problem to resolve it in godly ways. And I mean, this sounds kind of no-brainer. I mean, how many times when you're arguing toddlers come running to you, you say, just solve it yourselves. Get it over with. Um, it sounds so simple. Just solve it. Well, if it was simple, they already would have done it. We already would have solved all of our uh, interpersonal um, problems. So obviously, it's not uh, top on our list to solve things. And some of those reasons maybe like we enjoy it. We, we like the conflict because it gives us a feeling of power. We hold out this hope of being able to win, and that's something we look forward to. Um, uh, it may be that we really uh, look forward to having somebody else get what's coming to them. Uh, It may be that we just uh, aren't equipped, and that's what we need to look at. So if we seek a resolution, um, then we're really getting to the bottom of the matter. Then we're really hitting the reason why God brought all this up. Because if it's worth getting angry over, it's worth solving. And That goes way back. If it ain't worth getting angry over, drop it. Let it go. Love covers a multitude of sins. But if it is worth getting angry over, then it's for us uh, to solve it. Um, and this is where we come to uh, in verse uh, 24. If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother. Um, We shouldn't just wait uh, till later. That word first is critical. Uh, No doubt it would be very uh, inconvenient to try and resolve it at that time. Uh, But just like it's inconvenient when Paul says, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, I'm tired, let's just deal with it tomorrow. No, uh, deal with it now, deal with it first. Tomorrow is too late. Uh, God says to deal with it now. Uh, And in this verse, it's entirely possible uh, that the person uh, has a a good reason to be offended with you. It says your brother has something against you. Whether it's for good reason or bad that he has something against you, the plain fact is he's got something against you and we need to deal with it. Um, It may be that um, he has a sinful reason. And by going to him, confronting him in a godly way like Matthew 18 speaks of, uh, it can be resolved. The person, uh, when dealt with gently... Uh, will repent, and it's resolved. It may be that as you discuss it, uh, they, you realize you have a sin that's caused them to be provoked, and then you have the opportunity to solve it. Maybe it was a misunderstanding. Didn't realize what was going on, and then, ah, oh, great, you can see it clearly. So for whatever the reason, whether it's them, whether it's you, or actually no reason at all, uh, it needs to be resolved first. Uh, you can't just wait till later. Uh, which brings us back to the cause of unrighteous anger, uh, whether it was in them or in you, is that you have to look for those underlying reasons. Uh, Is it bitterness? Is it pride? Is it envy? All these other things that just uh, fill our head and make us not think clearly. Uh, We need to take a look at those, and it's uh, for a whole other topic, dealing with bitterness, Uh, but to look at those and be honest and say, you know, God, I'm trying to deal with this at the wrong level. Is there something more that I need to handle in order to get this fully resolved? Uh, Because if those underlying issues aren't resolved, it's going to come back again. Uh, It's it's just delaying it until later. And God wants a permanent solution. Uh, He doesn't want us having to pay this eternal price. Uh, The atonement was sufficient for all our sins, past, present, uh, what we potentially do today, what we'll do tomorrow. Um, That's not an excuse. Of course, Paul is so vociferous in arguing against the license for sin The gospel is a a reason for holiness uh, because we have that Holy Spirit in us. So as we look at this whole topic, and as I say again, the issue of anger is critical. Uh, Statistics say 90% of counseling cases deal with anger. So much discontentment and unhappiness in family and in job uh, brought to bear from conflicts in people's lives, and we learn from Jesus' own lips, not only here but elsewhere, it's repeated, especially important that unrighteous anger is a sin that needs to be dealt with. Uh, We mustn't trick ourselves into thinking that, um, oh, I haven't done the action. No, the heart issue as with any sin is so critical. Uh, We mustn't deceive ourselves into thinking that we can handle it on our own. If we think that, and we're denying our need for a Savior. And how blasphemous is that? So we've got to be honest if there's a problem. We've got to be honest that we can't solve it ourselves. We've got to be honest and embrace God's solutions for it. And it's only by that work of the Holy Spirit in this area and in every area of our lives that a true, enduring, lasting, and God-honoring solution can be brought to bear. So let us trust in Him only through Him who which we are enabled to achieve that holiness. Glorify our Father in heaven and bring true reconciliation to our neighbors. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for uh, your teaching here. That's something we see all around us. We see nations being angry at one another. We see family members being angry at one another. Lord, this should not be so. uh, That in your true peace that you give, uh, of course it only comes through your son. So I pray for each individual in this congregation that uh, they would be saved, that those who... Uh, think they'll leave it till later because they're trying to handle things on themselves, that they would be humbled to realize that it's futile to try and handle it themselves, that only through your indwelling power can anything of enduring good be accomplished. Uh, We pray your blessing on this church, that it would be a church of uh, peace and uh, bringing reconciliation in this city. And uh, we pray your blessing on this country, that it too would be... Uh, a body that brings true peace, not like the people in Jeremiah's day who said, peace, peace, but there was no peace. They were pursuing it wrongly. All they wanted was a lack of annoyances and uh, disturbances. Uh, Lord, uh, may in the coming of your kingdom more fully there be true peace, the peace bought uh, by the blood of your Son. This I ask on behalf of your people and in Jesus' name. Amen.